0: The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching.
1: Today on Exploits, I want to share a fascinating interview that we did with a Bible scholar and Dead Sea Scrolls expert, Nehemia Gordon. Get ready for some revelations about the New Testament from an expert in ancient Hebrew. Shalom from Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dorig, and I'm so blessed that on our program today is Nahamia Gordon, who is a Dead Sea Scroll scholar, and you are a Karaite. That's right. And what is a Karaite?
0: So Karaite, uh, Karaites are Jews who only follow the Old Testament. They're uh, strictly Hebrew scripturalists. Karaite comes from the ancient Hebrew word Kara, which is the ancient Hebrew word for the Hebrew Scriptures and Kerite is someone who only follows the Old Testament.
1: Now, some people would say, but the Jewish people follow the Old Testament anyway, but there is an oral law. Can you explain about
0: this? So, many people don't know about this. Every Jew knows about this, but non-Jews, a lot of non-Jews don't know about this. Uh, Most of Judaism today, most Jews who call themselves religious are actually not uh, simply followers of the Old Testament, but they follow something called the Oral Law, the Oral Torah. It's also known as the, or the main writing of it is the Talmud. And so most Jews today are not uh, Karaite scripturalists, they're Talmudists.
1: Now Nehemia, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, but you right. are an admirer mm-hmm. of the Yeshua, the Hebrew Yeshua, mm-hmm. which is Jesus' Hebrew name. Mm-hmm. And you have been having a lot of fellowship with Messianic believers over questions that they have, because there's been confusion as they've read the New Testament to think now Jesus is telling us in the New Testament, the Greek Jesus, mm. to follow Rabbinic Judaism. Right. And so, and so they've been coming mm. to you as a textual scholar to say, help us figure out what's going on here. And right. as a result, you have written this dynamite book, The Hebrew Yeshua versus the Greek Jesus. Right. There are electrifying discoveries in this book. What would you say the main message is of this book?
0: Well, uh, as you mentioned, I, I wrote this book really in response to dialogue I had with, with Messianic believers, and they came to me be, both because I'm a Karite and also because I have a background in textual studies, uh, working on the Dead Sea Scrolls and other research projects, and I also have a degree in uh, Biblical studies and archaeology from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And, and uh, I use these textual skills to try to decipher these problems they had in the New Testament. And one main problem that, that I was approached with was, was in Matthew 23. Jesus says straight out, he says, the Pharisees, these people who we just said believe in this oral Torah, they sit in the seat of Moses. They have some type of Mosaic authority. Whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. This is Matthew 23, verses two to three. And very clearly, if you know what a Pharisee is, m- see, most people think Pharisee just means bad person. That's not true. A Pharisee is an ancient form of Judaism that goes back more than 2,000 years. And if Jesus is telling his disciples to obey the Pharisees and do whatever they command you to do, then that has broad, far-reaching ramifications. Uh, for,
1: like what, for example?
0: Like, for example, um, Pharisee law governs every aspect of life. Every, every, literally, from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you go to sleep at night. I was actually raised as a Pharisee, and so I, I know about these laws firsthand. One of the laws is that before you eat bread, you must wash your hands. And washing your hands doesn't just mean taking a bar of soap and, and you know being hygienic and washing your hands. That, today, we know that's common sense hygiene. Washing the hands is a very specific ritual that follows a very specific uh, set of steps. And when you're done actually pouring the water over your hands, in order to uh, fulfill the ritual, you have to make the blessing. Blessed, every time. Every time. Every time you want to eat, which means blessed out the Lord, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with His commandments, commanding us to wash the hands. But did He? He didn't. God never commanded us to wash the hands. Now, if you're obeying the Pharisees, you have to do that every time you want to eat a meal. And, and I brought this example because this is one that actually appears in the, in the, in the New, New Testament, Testament, in Matthew chapter 15. and. It was and a big part of controversy. Uh, Exactly. In Matthew 15, the disciples sit down to eat bread, and they don't wash their hands. And the Pharisees come, and they say to Yeshua, to Jesus, why have your disciples transgressed the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. And then then Jesus answers to them, and he says, he says, you've transgressed the commandment of God by your tradition. Now, I think most Christians have no idea what that means, because they don't understand Phariseeism. What he's talking about, you see, many Christians, when they read that from my conversations with Christians, they, they read that and they th- say, okay, Jesus is doing away with the law. He's saying you don't have to wash your hands anymore. Originally, there was a commandment to wash your hands. He's done away with that. Now, being raised as a Pharisee, before I became a strictly Old Testament Karate Jew, I was raised up as a Pharisee. My father was actually an Orthodox rabbi. And uh, I had the same question growing up. Where are we commanded to wash our hands? The same same question or the same thing that that Jesus was dealing with 2,000 years ago, I I had these problems. And I went to my rabbis and I said, okay, where are we commanded to wash our hands? Are you considered to be a
1: precocious child? (laughs) A little bit of a troublemaker?
0: (laughs) Well, I wanted answers. And I I wouldn't just accept, uh, you know, don't worry about it or just obey. I wanted to see the sources. Even back then, I wanted to see Bible chapter and verse. And so here I was told there is no Bible chapter and verse. They told me immediately, my rabbis, they said, God didn't command us to wash the hands. However, God commanded us to obey the rabbis and by obeying the rabbis, we're indirectly obeying God. And every time a pharisaical or modern rabbinic Jew washes his hands before he eats and and makes the blessing, what he's really doing is proclaiming the supposed God-given authority of the rabbis. Now, um, you know, Jesus said, don't call no man rabbi. And there's a reason for that, because he... Oh,
1: he, you know, I've always wondered about that. Can you give me some light?
0: So so rabbi is, is a theological concept within Phariseeism, which means a person who has uh, God-given authority to teach, not, and to teach with authority. What the rabbi teaches is binding upon you. The, the rabbis explain that. Uh, even if a rabbi tells you that right is left or left is right, you must obey them. If they tell you something that you know to be factually wrong, you must obey them because they have this God-given authority. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew 23 is, don't call anyone rabbi, don't listen to men to teach you with authority. The only one who can teach you with authority is God. God. Now, that, now as a Karite, that's something that I deeply believe, that today, uh, with the temple in ruins, we don't have uh, the prophets of, of the type of Isaiah or Jeremiah that can come and teach us the Word of God directly, all we have is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, that's all I have, uh, and I uh, just look to the Old Testament for the answers, because that to me is the Word of God.
1: Now, let's get back to the seat of Moses, because Mm -hmm. Jesus was saying that the Pharisees of His day Mm -hmm. were sitting in that seat, but you found a Hebrew translation of the Gospel of Matthew that clarified this issue. Well, not a
0: Hebrew translation. Uh, and and let, let me get to that in a minute, but let me finish about Matthew 15. So Yeshua, Jesus says there very clearly, obey... Uh, he says there very clearly that the, the Pharisees are the ones transgressing the commandment of God by their tradition. Now, as I mentioned, most Christians think, oh, Jesus is doing away with the law. But what he's actually doing is, is upholding the he's commandment been, of God. Yes, he's
1: upholding The, the, the commandment
0: Torah. of God is the Torah. And what he's saying is by requiring these man-made laws, this this law to wash your hands and make this blessing which you rabbi's by your own admission have foisted upon the people these heavy burdens you've you've thrown upon the people which god never commanded by doing that you're violating the commandment of god now how are they violating the commandment of god when i read this in in the new testament i was fascinated by this because this is something that i came to you know discovered on my own really growing up with phariseeism in the torah itself in deuteronomy chapter four verse two it says do not add to the torah and do not take away from yes. the torah Adding or taking away from the Torah is is forbidden from the very beginning. And if the Pharisees come along and say, you must wash your hands before you eat bread, and you must say this blessing, recognizing our supposed God-given authority, that's a transgression of the commandment of God. And so what Yeshua, or in Hebrew he's called Yeshua, what he's doing in Matthew 15 is not doing away with the Torah, He's doing away with these man made laws of the Pharisees and saying they don't have this God given authority. They can't add to the Torah. It's forbidden from the very beginning to add to the Torah. But then in Matthew 23, he comes along and he says, Whatsoever they command you to do, that observe and do. And he even talks about the heavy burdens. He talks about how they foist up these heavy burdens upon the nation. And what he seems to be saying when you read it in English and also in the Greek is he seems to be saying that they make up all these laws and rules and regulations but they don't follow them themselves but you should because they have mosaic authority so how do now we do, reconcile now does that make uh, does that even make sense let's start off with that it no. doesn't even make sense It's very confusing, and, and it outright contradicts what he says in matthew 15 so what's going on there well when i began to research this one of the things i found is that there's a um, a number of scholars who have, who have determined that the New Testament or certain parts of the New Testament were not written originally in Greek, that they were actually written in Hebrew. And it turns out that there's actually a Hebrew version of the Gospel of Matthew that survived down to modern times. It's referred to in the scholarly literature as Shem Tov's Hebrew Matthew. Is this Be- the
1: Baal Shem Tov?
0: It's not related to the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov was a, a supposed miracle worker, rabbinical miracle worker, lived in the 18th century. Shem Tov was a common name though. This was a man who lived 400 years earlier in Spain and he wrote a book uh, called *Evan Bochan*, in which he um, he systematically goes through uh, Catholicism, uh, basically refuting Catholicism, because there were these public debates that the Jews had to participate in uh, against, you know, the the Catholics forced the Jews to defend their religion. And, and, and Shem Tov ibn Shaprut sat down and wrote a systematic argument defending the Jewish religion against Catholicism. Interestingly enough, one of his main arguments was to go through the words of Yeshua and show how the Catholics don't actually do what Yeshua says. Uh, At the end of his book, Shem Tov Ibn Shaprut, in the 14th century, says if if we Jews really want to win these debates, what we have to do is start reading the New Testament. And so at the end of his book, he includes the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew. Now this has been known for centuries as Shem Tov's Hebrew Matthew but it was always assumed that he simply translated it from greek and nobody even bothered really studying it
1: but you discovered that there are hebraic puns
0: right there are hebraic actually i didn't discover this this was, this was discovered more than a decade ago uh, by other scholars that, sh- that shantos hebrew matthew appears not to have been translated from greek but it was actually written in hebrew can and you the-
1: give one of these simple hebraisms okay. that's in there
0: so so le- let me give you an example the, uh, w- the, one of the pieces of evidence for this uh, that uh, Shemtos Hebrew Matthew was written in Hebrew is that there's something called Hebrew word puns, which are a play on words in Hebrew. When you read it in Greek, there's there's no play on words there. Now, for example, Matthew 18, there's the parable, the parable of the debt, where he talks about a uh, certain servant owes the king money and he can't pay, so he goes down the food chain and persecutes his servant, and five times it talks about paying there, and the Hebrew word for pay is shalem. So five times it says shalem, and then in the, in the moral of the parable, appears in Matthew 18, verse 35, and there it says, "'So shall my Father in heaven do, "'if you do not forgive each man his brother "'with a complete heart.'" Now the Hebrew word for complete is shalem. Wow. And this only makes sense when you read it in Hebrew. Yes. The message there is, is diffused and really lost when you read it in Greek.
1: But how beautiful it, that it's, is it's, in Hebrew. It
0: is, it's, it's like it's poetry when you read it in Hebrew. It's beautiful and it flows. And this is a characteristic of something written in Hebrew, not something translated from Greek. Now th- there's lots of pieces of evidence, but our time is limited, and I, and I won't give a whole linguistic uh, uh, discussion. But but all of the, there's a, um, a really a constellation of evidence that when look, when you look at it together, it really points to the fact that Matthew, first of all, was written in Hebrew, and this Tos Hebrew Matthew appears to be that 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 uh, Hebrew text. Now I want to make it clear: this doesn't mean that every word of Septuagint Hebrew Matthew is what Matthew, the original Matthew, wrote. And the reason for that is that over the centuries what, what some scribes did is they said, they, they came to Shemtos, Hebrew Matthew, and they realized it was different from the Greek, and then they corrected it. They thought they were correcting it according to the Greek, and really what they were doing was, was changing the original wording. So what we have today is a text that, uh, in Shemtos, Hebrew Matthew, is, is a text that in many places can bring us closer to the Hebrew original. In other places, it's simply reflecting ba- back on the, on the Greek. and some t- places, it's hard to know. Is it that the Greek has the exact translation from the Hebrew and so that's why they match? Or, and so my approach is to look at the differences between the Hebrew and the Greek and when there are differences, we can pretty pretty much be uh, or be pretty confident that we may be dealing with a, an, a, the original wording that's been lost in the Greek.
1: I believe God is raising you up, Nehemiah, to help us to rediscover mm-hmm. a lot of our Hebraic roots of mm-hmm. Christianity and you <clears throat> indicate in this book that you think that perhaps Yeshua could have been a Karaite. Can you comment on that?
0: Okay, so what do I mean by, by Yeshua was a Karaite, or, or to be more precise, there's a Karahite aspect of his message. What, what I see in, uh, in when I read the Hebrew math, you know, I mentioned how in Matthew 23 in the Greek he says, obey the Pharisees. When you read it in the Hebrew, there's a difference of one single letter, and that one single letter changes his message from obey the Pharisees here's what he says in Hebrew, he says, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, therefore, all that he says to you diligently do. In other words, so so who's the he now? The he is Moses. So in the Hebrew Matthew, he's commanding his disciples, if the Pharisees claim to authority that they sit in this Moses' seat, which was a special chair in the synagogue, which is actually on the front cover of my book, this was a special ornate chair they had in ancient synagogues where the Pharisees would sit and they say, anybody sitting in this chair, you have to obey. and and Yeshua, Jesus comes along in in the Hebrew, Yeshua in the Hebrew text comes along and says, that's their claim to authority, so do as Moses says. They sit in the Moses' seat. And then he says,
1: he calls them, you blind chairs. Right,
0: or later on in Matthew 23, in the Greek, he he calls them blind guides. In the Hebrew, he calls them blind chairs. And he's referring, he's saying, okay. He's referring
1: to this. Yeah,
0: he's saying, okay, you do sit in that chair in that Moses' seat. You have this uh, claim to Mosaic authority because you have a special chair at the head of the synagogue, but you're a blind chair. You, there are things right in front of you and you don't see them. So what do I mean that, that Yeshua had a Karite aspect to his message? As I mentioned, Karite Judaism is, are, is Judaism strictly by the Old Testament as opposed to Judaism by the Oral Torah, this Talmud, the Talmudists, modern Orthodox Judaism. And or we would
1: say the Word of God.
0: Uh yeah, the Word of God as, as, as preserved in the, the Old Testament. the traditions of men. Absolutely. And Yeshua makes that very clear distinction between the commandment of God and the traditions of men, the, the Word of God and, and man-made traditions. Now, uh, when I read his words in Hebrew, I and in the Greek to some extent as well, I see consistently he's warning his disciples, don't follow these new innovations that the Pharisees are foisting upon these people, these heavy burdens that they're lifting up, and, and in other places they're doing away with the Torah. In other places, the Pharisees are opening up these loopholes and saying you don't have to actually follow what it says in the Torah. In some places, they're doing that, in other places, they're adding things. And he, Yeshua comes along and He says, No, do what the God said and don't follow these man-made traditions and rules and regulations. And in, in Matthew 15, He quotes Isaiah, which I found absolutely fascinating. Yes. He quotes Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, uh, where Isaiah speaks about how they're teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, that's Pharisaical Judaism, teaching for doctrines of the commandments, and that's this oral Torah and these traditions of the elders, these laws that the the Pharisees have foisted upon the nation, really down to modern times. We're still suffering from these burdens they've foisted upon the nation, which are driving the average person away from following Torah. Uh,
1: I notice that you don't wear, for example, a kippah.
0: Right. I don't wear the kippah or skull cap because that's not commanded in the Torah. And it says, again, in Deuteronomy 4.2, do not add to the Torah, do not take away. For me to wear the kippah, which is this addition to the Torah, this man-made tradition which has been sanctified and now uh, is really a basic law of Pharisaical Judaism to to wear the kippah. Uh, That's an addition to the Torah. And by adding to the Torah, you're actually changing it and modifying it.
1: Now, have you been surprised and shocked by the picture you've seen of Yeshua, because I really you was. thought he was a yeah. usurper.
0: I really I really was surprised, because I have to be honest, when I started this, uh, this study on this question, really, of Matthew 23, uh, really I, I had pretty much a traditional Jewish um, understanding of Yeshua, that He came to, or Jesus, that He came to lead people astray from the Torah, to abolish the law and lead people astray after after you know some some man-made religion, and what I see from reading his words in the Hebrew, and, and is that his message becomes very clear that that's not what he's doing. That he's uh, instructing his disciples to obey Moses. He's saying that their claim to authority is they sit in the special chair in the synagogue, the moses seat. Do what Moses says. Diligently do. In fact, he says what Moses has said. And in other places as well, where and, and I think part of the problem here is when the certain parts of the New Testament were translated into Greek, something was lost, Uh, maybe because the Greek translators really didn't know what they were translating, or or for whatever reason, part of, I think, the message was distorted, and when you read it in Hebrew, though, it's very clear, he's commanding his disciples, obey the Torah, the commandment of God, don't follow the traditions of men, the teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men, these man-made laws, follow the religion of God, follow the Word of God.
1: How is it helping uh people like myself to learn these things. How, you've just been on a, a large tour speaking mm-hmm. to many Christians throughout mm-hmm. the United States. What has been the reaction of the Christian community to these revelations, these discoveries?
0: Um, well, I think the main reaction uh, from people who've, who've spoken to me after, after the, the talks and, and the emails I've been getting is that people are looking for, they're looking for what they call the Hebrew roots. Yes. Th- they're looking for something more authentic. Uh, I mean, the common thing I hear from people is, okay, Jesus was a Jew. I need to understand Judaism uh, in order to understand his message. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. They, they, they often say to me things like, well, Jesus was a Jew, and if I want to understand his message, I have to understand Judaism. Now, the next step for many people is to start to emulate Judaism. And once they realize, well, Jesus didn't do away with the Torah, they, they start to... to Instead of following Torah, they start emulating Judaism because, uh, rabbinical Judaism, Judaism, because simply by default, what's known out there is rabbinical, pharisaical Judaism. And what they end up doing is the exact things that Yeshua warns his disciples not to do. They end up following the traditions of the elders, these man-made laws. One of the things that really pushed me to write this book, because you have to understand that for a Jew to write a book about the Hebrew Yeshua and the Greek Jesus, I got a lot of a lot of criticism for this. But one of the things that, that really pushed me to write the book was interacting with, with messianic Jews and them telling me that, well, they want to get closer to their Jewish roots and closer to Yeshua. So what they're doing is is following all these rabbinical practices. And, and one practice that really blew me away to hear that they were doing is in their in their messianic synagogue, they're reciting the rabbinical prayers and one of those prayers is something called the 18 benedictions. Now, the 18 benedictions is a a very ancient prayer that goes back more than 2,000 years, but within the 18 benedictions is something called the 19th benediction, in Hebrew, which is the curse of the followers of Yeshua. In in the first century, many of the followers of Yeshua were still in the synagogue, and they were still uh, in the synagogue controlled by the Pharisees. And so to drive them out, the Pharisees added a curse of anyone who accepted Yeshua as the Messiah. And here you have modern messianic Jews Who are trying to connect with Yeshua and they're reciting a curse upon themselves because they don't know what they're saying they don't understand what Phariseeism is and they don't understand that modern Orthodox Judaism is just a direct uh, unbroken continuation of ancient Phariseeism so they're ending up proclaiming this curse upon themselves in their own synagogues and this is one of the things that really pushed me to write the book realizing that people simply don't know people learning uh, yearning for truth searching for these Hebrew uh, roots, Jewish roots of Christianity, which which I think are are real and authentic, but what they end up doing is going astray after the Pharisees rather than the Torah, the commandment of God.
1: You do not go along with the ban on the divine name. Mm -hmm. You actually pronounce the name of God. Let's talk about this for a minute because in the Torah, Mm -hmm. God says that his name is to be mentioned, Mm -hmm. is to be memorialed, but the rabbis today have right. covered up. It's like a biggest cover up right. in the it's world. There's
0: actually an outright ban on the name. In fact, it says in, in the Mishnah, which is part of this oral law, it says anyone who pronounces the name of the Creator as it is written has no place in the world to come, no place in the resurrection. Now, so, you would
1: be—you feel like you'd be excommunicated by saying the name?
0: I mean, you're, you're forfeiting your, your Im, immortal life by pronouncing <laughs> the name. Now, think about this. The name appears in the Hebrew 6,828 times in, in the Hebrew of the Old Testament. 6,828 times, that's an average of seven times in every page of the Hebrew text. Now, the Hebrew name in Hebrew is yod heh vav which some pronounce as Yahweh or Yahweh. I pronounce it as Yehovah. For various uh, textual reasons, um, but it's very clear that those are the letters Yodhe whether you pronounce it as Yahweh or Yehovah or other variations of that. That the letters are indisputable; they're, they're very clear, and they're there almost seven thousand times in the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, I really came to this revelation by simply reading the words of the Torah. Uh, in Exodus chapter three, verse fifteen, it he says there. He said he pr- introduces himself really for the first time to Moses. And he says, he he introduces himself as Yehovah, and he says, this is my name forever. This is my memorial from generation to generation. Now, one of the things that I discovered is that in Hebrew, the word for memorial, the root uh, behind the word memorial is zecher, zayin chafresh. And that word really has a much broader meaning in ancient Hebrew than it does in, in English. In ancient Hebrew, zecher is both to remember something, but also to mention it now so he's uh, saying
1: you must speak my name really
0: he's saying this is my mention when you and actually the primary meaning of this word is to refer to something I can refer to it with my mind which is to remember it and and actually in Hebrew it's much more active than it is in English it's Mm. to summon it up in the memory so I can summon it up in my memory which is to remember it, or I can summon it up with my mouth which is to mention it so when he says this is my Zecher from generation to generation, he's saying, this is my mention. Whenever you refer to me, whether with your mind or with your mouth, you must refer to me by my name, which is, Yeho- which is Yehovah, not Lord or Adonai. You know, even in the English translations, it amazes me. Uh, it has, instead of Yehovah, yod it has... Uh, the Lord. Lord, capital L, capital, capital O, yeah. capital R, capital D. Why is that? Because when King James pay, uh, hired these people to translate the Bible, they didn't know Hebrew, so they went to rabbis, to teach them Hebrew, and the rabbis told them that word is pronounced as Adonai. And they said, okay, what's Adonai mean? Lord. (laughs) So they wrote Lord, Uh, in fact, in in the King James translation, I think it's only three times about that has Jehovah, which is a transcription of what's in the Hebrew, Yehovah. Uh, The other 6,825 so times, it's Lord in caps. Caps.
1: Now, do you think, Nehemiah that this is a problem today that people don't know who God is. They think Allah is God it, because His name has not been remembered and mentioned.
0: I, I think that. I mean, you say Allah for the Muslims. I think this is. I mean, I can speak from my own background. This is a problem for Jews, that we're in we're in a uh, a very difficult situation now with all our pro- political problems. And it says in the prophets, all those who came call upon the name of, and the next word is not Lord. All those who pa- call upon the name of Yehovah will be saved. Now we're in crisis. Now we need to call upon his name. And can't and do the it. average person in the street doesn't know what his name is.
1: This is a big problem. They don't cover know how up. to
0: pronounce it. And if they know, they're told they're not allowed to pronounce it.
1: Now, have you noticed? <clears throat> I'm not talking about the sect <clears throat> of the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not talking about okay. that. But have you noticed that within um, mainstream Christianity a lot <clears throat> now, many Christians are trying to recover the name of Mm. Yehovah, this is a worldwide movement. And you found a prophecy in the Bible that Mm -hmm. in the end days the Gentiles will call.
0: It says in Jeremiah 12, 16, it's an amazing prophecy because it's one of the few prophecies in the entire Old Testament, which is speaking directly to the Gentiles and only to the Gentiles. It's a prophecy where Jeremiah says, you know, this has nothing to do with Israel. I'm now speaking to the nations. And he says there, if they will, those nations will learn to swear by my name, as they taught Israel to swear by the name of Baal, Baal yes. then they will be built into my people. It's a promise for the end time that the nations will be built into Israel if they'll learn to swear by his name.
1: To call upon his name, Yehovah.
0: To call upon his name and, and, and swear upon And to his, take vows. And to take vows, well to swear in his name, what that means is in Deuteronomy it tells us, uh, you will cling to Jehovah your God and in his name shall you swear. And you see in the, throughout the Tanakh, what that means is they would swear as Yehovah lives. Meaning that by my very actions, I'm proclaiming the life of Yehovah. Now, if you can't proclaim as Yehovah lives because you can't say Yehovah, then how are you gonna be built into Israel as is promised in Jeremiah 12, 16?
1: Why did you select this version uh, for Yeshua? Because this is an abbreviation of a larger name.
0: Right, so Yeshua, Y-E-S-H-U-A, is in Hebrew, yud Shin, Vav, Ayin. That's how the name Joshua would have been pronounced in Second Temple times, in late Second Temple times. The original name is Yehoshua, which actually means Yehovah saves. And in late Second Temple times, the hay was dropped. And so you have many names that where the, the hay is swallowed up, and Yehoshua becomes Yeshua. So Yeshua is ha- how the name Joshua would have been pronounced in that period.
1: So if you want to get this amazing book, The Hebrew Yeshua versus the Greek Jesus, you can go to www.hebrewyeshua.com. That's right. In that interview, I was speaking with Bible scholar and Dead Sea Scrolls expert, Nehemia Gordon. Well, we hope you enjoy exploring these Bible themes with us here at the Jerusalem channel. But right now, it's that time of year when we face a very specific financial challenge. You see, we have to pay for every minute that every viewer is watching our programs. Streaming video over the internet does cost money Each year we need to recharge to play out minutes with our web streaming service. Normally we have plenty of minutes that we pay for in advance, but there are times of the year when those video minutes begin to get critically low. That's when our green stream turns red. And so now we have a red alert. And that's what we're facing. To recharge those video streaming minutes means we need your help So if there's ever been a time when you felt an urging by the Holy Spirit to partner with the Jerusalem Channel, let it be now. You can make a donation by credit or debit card at our website or by check to our postal addresses. Thank you for helping us to keep the Jerusalem Channel streaming the Word of God from the Holy City. Daniel 11.32 promises those who know God will be strong and do exploits. We're always looking for sold-out intercessors and Watchmen on the Walls. If that's you, we'd like to stay in touch via the social media. We also invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv, where you can click online to receive a copy of our free color magazine, Exploits. And at our website, we publish weekly prayer points for Watchmen on the Walls, as well as notices about our upcoming events and prayer convocations here in the Holy Land. So until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom.